Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. It's NFL Draft Week, Colin, which means we're going to finally find out where Justin Fields and the rest of the Buckeyes are going to play their NFL football. And Colin, I think we're both in agreement that at this point, we're glad the draft is about to start because I think the conversation about Justin Fields and if he's falling, why he's falling, how far could he fall? Uh, I think we've reached about as much of that as we can take at this point. If I feel, if I sound exhausted on the podcast today, it's because I saw this morning that Chris Sims picked that Justin Fields would go 32nd overall in Thursday's NFL draft. And it made me want to jump out um, of my bedroom window, which I will not do, but I can't, I can't, I cannot um, overstate my enthusiasm for this process to end because I will say I like the Dwayne Haskins debates a couple years ago. Those were interesting. The Justin Fields debates stopped being interesting. I don't know, three months ago. I mean, it's, it's honestly crazy. I know a lot of people are sort of in that same boat right now who have watched Justin Fields the past couple of years and are, and have now been subjected to three or four months of picking every little thing about him in part and, and seeing you know, why he's apparently falling, why he's not falling and figuring all this out and nobody knows anything. And we're all just waiting for Thursday to get actual information about what's legitimately happening. Yeah. If the New England Patriots trade up for a wide receiver while Justin Fields falls to 32, I will, I will just quit. I will just quit uh, NFL draft talk forever because that would be absurd. Yeah. Shout out Chris Sims for that one too. Um but there's no – we can't start anywhere else on, on NFL Draft Week and NFL Draft Preview Podcast than Justin Fields. I mean, we have to start here. I mean, that's the thing about it is that's why everybody wants to talk about him is nobody has a clue where he's going still. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday evening, and I'm not sure you can say with even a slight degree of confidence that you know where he's going. No, I really don't because, you know, it, what does seem – confident at this point is that he's not going to go in the top three because it certainly seems like Jacksonville is settled in on Trevor Lawrence. It certainly seems like New York jets are going to draft Zach Wilson. And then the, the word on the street is that the 49ers are either going to draft Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Seems like it's going to probably be Mac Jones, but could be Trey Lance one way or the other, you know, at this point, there's too many credible NFL insiders who I know have way more sources than I do saying that Justin Fields is not going to go uh, to the San Francisco 49ers, but I have to believe that it's true. So now the question becomes, okay, is he going to go, you know, could Atlanta draft him at four? Could they trade the pick to somebody at four? If they don't take him at four, okay, how far does he fall? And, you know, where might somebody trade up? You know, you know, I, I look at it and I, I see, you know, I see maybe three potential landing spots in the top 10 in terms of teams that could draft him. And those would be Atlanta at four, Carolina at eight, and Denver at nine. Maybe Detroit at seven would be a long shot. But I also think there's a good chance, you know, if, if the Falcons don't take him at four, that I think there's a good chance that somebody else is going to move up and trade up for Justin Fields, you know. I look at the New England Patriots as an obvious candidate to do so. You know, they have Cam Newton on a one-year contract. They've set themselves up this entire offseason by being very aggressive in free agency to go make a move for a quarterback in this draft. So, you know, when I release my mock draft on Wednesday, that's what I'm going to have is I'm going to have Justin Fields going to the New England Patriots with the number seven overall pick with a trade with Detroit. But – that's a guess. It's a guess. I mean, there's so many different things that can happen on Thursday night and it's going to be fascinating to see where he ends up. Out to all you Browns fans who aren't in the mix for falling just fields. When I think in, in any other year, all of Ohio, whether it be Cincinnati fans pre Joe Burrow or Cleveland fans pre Baker Mayfield would be very excited at the prospect of Justin Fields falling to them. But we're all watching from the outside. Um, Dan, like I, I know you follow the NFL draft as much as anybody. 
What's your elevator pitch on two or three teams that just fit wise make sense, make the most sense? And and maybe it's not a team in the top seven or eight, but but throughout the NFL, what's an elevator pitch for like three or four teams you feel like Justin Fields would be a perfect fit on them? Yeah, so I already went with New England. I think Denver would be another fit that makes a lot of sense because I think if you look at Drew Locke's uh, two seasons so far in the NFL, you know, he's got to get a lot better if he's going to be a franchise quarterback. So to me, if Justin Fields is there at that ninth pick, uh, I don't think Denver should pass him up. I think uh, certainly, you know, he's got a chance to go in there and, and have a lot of success. And I wouldn't even be shocked if they were a team that even moved up two or three spots to ensure that they get the chance to draft Justin Fields. You know, I think if you look a little further down the board, you know, I don't know if a Washington football team wants to draft another Ohio state quarterback, but I also don't necessarily think it should deter them. So I think that if Justin Fields were to slide, that would be a team that I would look at. Maybe they move up and draft Justin Fields. You know, we know they've got Terry McLaurin, they've got Curtis Samuel, but right now their quarterback is 38 year old Ryan Fitzpatrick on a one year deal. So uh, if, if they have a chance to move up the board and go get Justin Fields, I would think they're a team that, that should do it. And then, you know, right behind them as well, the Chicago bears are another team that I would think if he starts to slide down the board, that should consider making that move up for him because they signed Andy Dalton, but you know, Cincinnati Bengals fans know Andy Dalton's pretty mediocre. So if they, if they can go get a guy who has a chance to be a future star and kind of break them out of that cycle of quarterback mediocrity that they've been in, I think they should certainly consider it. So those are a few teams that I look at, you know, I, I think it's more likely at this point, knowing that San Francisco isn't going to pick Justin, that I think it's more likely that the team that picks Justin Fields is going to pick him in a pick that they don't currently have right now. I don't, I don't rule out the possibility that Atlanta could draft him as their quarterback of a future, but I think it's more likely if he doesn't get picked by the Falcons, that one of these teams is going to trade up to get Justin Fields. Dan, I got to be honest, like when you run through all those teams, you know, to me, they make sense. And at the same time, I don't know if like, it's not like this is hitting me like a brick truck because I've, I don't know what a brick truck is, but uh, I guess it's a new metaphor or something. It's a new saying that I've, I've come up with in the moment, but we'll go with a brick truck. I don't know if this is hitting me like a brick <laughs> truck, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can't believe that we're talking about all these other teams when we basically spent the entirety of the 2020 season, assuming that Justin Fields was going to go second overall and maybe, you know, having the possibility that he would end up going first overall ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And like, I I don't know, at some point along the way, I just sort of thought that he would ascend to the point where he is second overall, because to me, there are so many parts about him that make him a special prospect. Whether you look at all of the physical traits where, you know, he's built like a running back, got a great arm he has all the stats you could ask for and then you look at all the off the field stuff you think about all the 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 toughness he has the fact that you never really hear anything bad about him um off the field the fact that he garnered such respect from ohio state players and coaches immediately and he fit into the system like to me i've always thought of justin fields as the total package and the idea that we're just days away from the draft when we're talking about maybe he goes outside the top 10 maybe he slides down to 15 you know someone has him at 32 like to me that's still crazy like even though we've known that this is a reality for multiple months now yeah I mean I I I guess the good thing from our perspective is it makes Thursday night more interesting right because I mean if he was going if he was going number two and we knew that I mean there's a chance Thursday would be pretty boring from an Ohio State perspective (laughs) just in the sense that we would know where Justin was going and then there might not be any other first rounders I guess that's fair, but from a Justin Fields perspective, I can't believe I still can't. I, it's hard to wrap your head around because this is a guy who I've said, like, if, if it turns out Justin Fields is a bust, like I quit about, I quit even saying anything about quarterbacks. I, I don't understand uh, what it takes to make it in the NFL, apparently. But I also thought that Josh Allen would be a bust, and I thought Sam Darnold would do well in the NFL. Uh, so in, in the end, like, whenever I hear people come out really strongly for or against quarterbacks, to me, it's just like in this day and age, it's just gotten to, to be a little difficult to, to hear people talk about quarterbacks because 
ultimately like just people consistently get things wrong no matter where you are if you're justin fields believer if you're justin fields hater you have a lot of misses at the quarterback position over the last several years like you we we, we all know yeah i mean i totally agree with you but i mean to me justin fields is a top two player in this draft with trevor lawrence and i think justin fields should be the number two overall pick in the draft i think personally that the fact that the Jets and the 49ers do not look like they're going to draft Justin Fields is a mistake on their part. But I like what you also brought up because that does get me to the other point that I want to make on Justin Fields that yeah, I'm surprised that we're in this position. Like I, I absolutely thought Justin Fields was going to be at least the third overall pick. I mean, I thought when San Francisco traded up for that third pick, I thought they were doing it to go get Justin Fields. And I thought, you know, things were going to come together from there. That didn't happen, but the one thing, you know, you make that point about how hard it is to project quarterbacks. I mean, it's hard. I mean, if you look at the stats from first-round quarterbacks in recent years, I mean, most of them have not been successful, or most of them are are not even with uh, the teams that drafted them anymore. So it is very hard. And so, you know, I think the one thing that has bothered me the most, especially here in these last few days leading up to the draft is kind of this, okay, this need to find some controversial reason why Justin Fields is, is falling, you know, such as the epilepsy that he's, he's dealing with. And, you know, we could get into a whole nother argument about, you know, whether that should have been leaked or whatnot. I don't really want to get into that today, but, you know, I think, you know, now people feel like, Oh, if he's falling, like there has to be something going on. Like there has to be something we don't know that why he's falling. And that's not true. I mean, the reality is every team is going to see these things a different way. And if the Jets think Zach Wilson is better than Justin Fields, I can understand that. I think Zach Wilson is really talented. If the 49ers conceive it, Mac Jones in their eyes is better than Justin Fields. I don't agree with it because I think Justin Fields is a lot more physically gifted. I think Justin Fields has a lot higher upside, but I can also understand why the 49ers are coming to where they're coming from. I mean, we were at the national championship game three months ago where Mac Jones absolutely picked Ohio state apart. And granted Ohio state did not have a very good pass defense, but he still did it on the biggest stage. Mac Jones was fantastic. So I can understand why a team would draft him with a top three pick. I don't, if it was me in that position, I don't watch Mac Jones and see a guy that I would want to draft with a top three pick just in terms of physical talent. But I also don't look at that and go, well, there has to be some reason why Justin Fields is falling. I, I think it really could just be, you know, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, the guys who are making the decisions there in San Francisco. They just really believe Mac Jones is a special player and Time will tell if they're right or wrong. Yeah, and like I think the assumption for a lot of us, I would I would maybe hazard to guess that a hundred percent of people listening to this podcast, given that our our uh, listenership is Ohio State fans, believe that Justin Fields will be a better player than Mac Jones. But like I just said, like it's I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because I feel like it's pretty clear that Justin Fields uh, should be taken higher than where he's being projected. But at the same time. The, the, the rate of quarterbacks hitting and busting in the NFL and, and the projections that people have on, on which guys will hit, which guys will bust is it's just been, it's, it's been so difficult to project correctly that it's, it's hard for me to take people to task on stuff like that. I just, I want to, I actually just want to see it happen. I think that that's what a lot of people, like I want to see Mac Jones go third overall and Justin Fields slip to 15. Like I, I just want to see it to believe it. Cause we're all having these conversations about him slipping. Like, maybe Justin Fields does go fourth overall or something to the, to the Falcons. And, you know, we all take a step back and say, you know what, like that's not that crazy, but maybe he goes 25th and we have, we're on here next week saying what in the world just happened. I, I honestly don't know. And you're right. I think that makes it fascinating for Ohio state fans who have watched this guy who have believed a lot of Ohio state fans have believed that this guy is the best quarterback in, in, in college football over the past two years. And we have no idea if he'll even be a top 10 pick in the draft. We could argue all day long about Justin Fields, but I want to talk about the other Ohio State players in this draft too, because 
I feel like because there's been so much focus on Justin Fields, there really hasn't been as much talk about the other Ohio State prospects in this draft. And I think it's a really interesting draft just in general for these Ohio State players because, you know, even like with Justin Fields, I look at all these guys and there isn't one guy in this draft where I go, I'm really confident this guy is going to go in this round. Like there's a lot of guys from Wyatt Davis to Pete Warner to Josh Myers to Baron Browning to Tommy Togiai to Trey Sermon to Sean Wade. There's just a lot of guys that are in kind of that round two to round four range. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see where all of these guys end up. I'd be surprised if any of them go in the first round, but I think between Friday and Saturday, it's going to be really interesting just to see where all these guys end up. You want to play a game, don't you? I do. I think what we can do is we can, we'll go back and forth here and we, we will kind of pick what order we think these guys are going to be drafted in and what round they think we're going to be drafted in. We'll see. We'll each, we'll each pick our own orders and we'll see where we disagree on it and we can debate on it. Obviously, I think we both agree that even though we don't know where he's going to go, we do both agree that Justin Fields is going to be the first Ohio State player drafted. I already gave you my pick, but I think he's going to be the number seven overall pick with a trade up by the New England Patriots. What's your guess, Colin? Well, as we've all stated, neither of us have a freaking clue what's going to go on. So I'm just going to go ahead and be bold and say that he goes fourth. And maybe that's to Atlanta. Maybe that's to someone trading up. You know, I I, I think at, I think talent wins out um, at, at some point. At least I would hope. I would certainly hope so. And I think Justin Fields is as talented as anybody else in this class. Maybe other than Trevor Lawrence, but I think he's I think he's up there. You know, within earshot. I respect it. I mean, and I think that would be a very popular pick. And I mean, he he grew up just outside of Atlanta, so I think there would be a lot of Falcons fans that would be really excited if they drafted Justin Fields on Thursday night. Other than maybe some salty Bulldogs fans. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> All right, so there's 13 other Ohio State guys who maybe will be drafted. Um, the majority will. Uh, who, outside of Justin Fields, Dan, we'll start with your list. Who's going to be the highest Buckeye drafted not named Justin Fields? And, and again, this is not us projecting what we, what we think should happen. It's what we think will happen. I'm glad you clarified that because my number two – guy that I think is going to be the second player drafted is Baron Browning. Now he wouldn't be the second buck guy that I would draft. There's honestly a few other guys I would draft before Baron Browning, but I think Baron Browning is going to be a second round pick and I'm going to guess I'm pretty close on him and a couple other guys, but I'm going to guess that he's going to be the second guy off the board. Cause I think he's just one of those guys, especially in a draft like this, where there's not a lot of those elite pass rush types. He's a guy that I think somebody in that second round is going to roll the dice on and say, we think we can make him into a really good player. You know I mean? He's a guy who was a five-star recruit that in my eyes never quite lived up to the hype at Ohio state, but there were enough flashes there that I think one of these teams in the second round is going to say, let's take a chance on Baron Browning. I think it's possible, so I'll just spoil my list. I have him at fourth as the fourth highest drafted Buckeye. You know, I actually think that there's probably a good five or six guys that are almost interchangeable here because there are, there's the second, the third, maybe early fourth round glut of guys who I really don't know what order they're going to go in. I, I get the Browning case, and I like you. Like, you know, if, if you just look on pure athleticism, like you said, it's easy to sell yourself on Baron Browning. I mean, you look at him and, you know, there is this this relative athlete score, athletic score that I pulled up because, like, I just think this is as telling as anything else. So when, when you combine all his numbers, height, weight, you know, 40, 20 split, the shuttle, all that together, from all linebackers who have been drafted between 1987 and 2021, he ranks fifth out of 2,118 guys. That's wow. That's a wow. That's stat. crazy. That's crazy. And I think it, I think it explains like if you can get that guy 
in the second round, the third round, like that's why it's easy to talk yourself into it because you look at that physical package. It's like, man, like that guy can play in the NFL. You have to imagine if you're that kind of athlete. Um, I just don't know exactly what he's going to be like. He like, he never showed those kind of instincts at, at the mic that you would expect. I always thought as an edge rusher, he had potential, but to be quite honest, his one move was basically to run around the edge as fast as he could. And listen, it's a great move when it works, but at some point I would like to see a counter and I never really saw anything else from him. So I, I have him going forth because I think while he's a great athlete, um, I do think the the lack of production, the lack of idea about how exactly you fit him dings him just a little bit. Um, but he's a guy who like, you're going to hear some sort of press conference from a GM on, on why they took Baron Browning. And it's probably pretty easy to sell the fans on, on selecting Baron Browning. So who is your guy? Who's your second guy? My guy's Pete Warner. I didn't, I, I didn't know if I, I originally had somebody else there, but I decided to go with Pete Warner because I think Pete Warner is, I think he's an underrated athlete and that he's actually a good athlete. Like he's not just underrated in the fact that people think he's bad and he's average. Like I think some people think he's a bad athlete and an average athlete. And like, he's a, he's a legitimately really good athlete who can do anything you ask. Like, I think the question for Baron Browning is where exactly you fit him. You know, where, where, where is he best at? I think you can put Pete Warner literally anywhere and he'll be okay. Uh, Whether that's an inside guy, whether he's going to be rushing, whether he's, he's going to be in coverage most of the time. I just think that, all of that kind of versatility and the fact that he's a good athlete um, allows him to be picked um, somewhere above 45th since I made that prediction. Was that before the season, after the season? I don't know, but, but I've always been on the Pete Warner is going to be picked high in the NFL train. So I think he'll be picked in the mid to early to mid second round. Yeah. I have Pete Warner third. Uh, I almost had him second. Uh, and honestly, you know, the thing about this is like I was doing the order in terms of, cause I'm publishing a mock draft on Wednesdays where I was trying to like fit guys into slots. So a lot of this, especially cause so many of these guys are so close. A lot of this is going to come down to just fits and, and who fits different teams better. And I think, you know, those are two guys that I look at Browning and Warner and go, I don't know, but it, it, I think between those two, it's not a matter to so much of who's the better prospect. It's a matter of, who fits in terms of a team that's looking for a second round linebacker. Cause they are, they're two very different prospects. And if it was me, I would take Pete Warner before I would take Baron Browning. We were actually asked that question by Minbuck this week. I would take Pete Warner because I think Pete Warner, I mean, for one, I think you could say he's that quote unquote safe pick because I think, you know, he is a guy that if he's not a successful NFL player, I would be surprised. I also, I don't think he's going to be an all pro, but I think he's going to be a very solid NFL player, a guy that can do a lot of different things for a defense. And so I think he's going to be a guy, a team is going to draft in the second round. I mean, there's been rumors that maybe he could even sneak into the late first. I don't think I'm quite buying that, but I think somebody's going to draft Pete Warner in the second round. And I think they're going to be really happy they did. Yeah. I think there are reasonable questions about like, he was never a playmaker. Like there are very few plays of Pete Warner's that I can actually remember off the top of my head, to be quite honest, but he always did his job very well. And I think that when you combine the fact he's a good athlete and that, and his experience as a multi-year starter at Ohio state, that's why I have him second. You have him third. I imagine the guy um, next on both of our lists is Wyatt Davis. Yes. Who I have third and where is he coming on your list? I've got him fourth, and I'm going to go early third round for Wyatt Davis. I have late second. And and I w- would not have said that a couple months ago, but it just feels like momentum is not on his side uh, going into this draft. It just feels like, uh, you know, as, as people have gotten more information about how NFL teams view him, that, you know, he's a guy, I mean, a few months ago, I might've had him as a late first round pick. Uh, and it just feels like, you know, the information that's come out from NFL teams that they don't quite view him that highly I wouldn't be surprised at all if he goes in the second round but I think he's going to go somewhere in round three I think that's reasonable to expect I think he's somebody who and you know I had been a little bit on this during the season he just he wasn't as good this past year as he was the year before 
Um, I don't know what it was. Well, I think injuries might have had something to do with that too. Well, there was that, me. and it, you know, both he and Sean Wade opted out and played injured as well. And like that's just like that's tough because I think that if neither one of them played, if they had both opted out, I think that we'd be sitting here talking about Sean Wade, Justin Fields, and Wyatt Davis's first round picks. And instead, we're definitely not. Um, we're both projecting pretty, uh, pretty clearly that there will only be one, um, one of those three to go in the first round. And and you know, I really like. I mean, why? If you're talking about a safe pick, like you like you mentioned, like I just feel like Wyatt Davis is the kind of guy who will be around the NFL for a decade. Agreed. Like I have no, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Um, now, what level he gets to, if he can be that kind of, you know, all pro, the kind of guy who's a multi pro bowler. You know, I think that's the that's the part of it that you, that's yet to be seen. The thing that the thing about him is like there are very few weaknesses in Wyatt Davis's game. Like he has a good base of skills. Uh, he obviously has the family the family lineage, the family history within the game and within pro football. You know, he's a guy who you know, like I said about you know Baron Browning, it will be easy to talk your fan base into drafting Wyatt Davis. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, to me, if Wyatt Davis is not a solid long term starter on an NFL offensive line, that would be surprised. Will he, again, will he be, you know, elite? I don't know. But I, if he's not a solid player, if he's not a guy that a team is happy at drafted on day two of a draft, that would really surprise me. All right. So those are our top four. Who's number five on, on your list? I'm going with Tommy Togiai, who I also think is going to be a third rounder. And, you know, he's, here's another guy. I mean, again, if he went in the second round, it wouldn't surprise me. There's a part of me thinks he, probably should go in the second round because there's not a lot of guys who have his kind of strength that can also move the way he can. And I thought he was excellent as Ohio state starting nose tackle last year. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes in the second, some people don't have him going to the fourth. I'm going to, I'm going to split the difference there and, and say, I think Tommy Togi, will be a third round pick. I have him. I have him next on my list as well. I also have him as a third round pick. Is it feels correct considering it feels like some, from the moment he was, he entered the draft. It feels like he's been in that third round or third round projection basically the entire time. So it's like, well, you know, I I'm not going to stray from that. Um, at the same time, like part of me wonders if he could slip into that second round because like if I'm putting my myself in the shoes of the GM, like I would jump at the chance to take Tommy Togiai. Um, and I don't know. Like part of this is obviously due to the fact that we've we've seen these guys since they came into came, came to Ohio State um the the vast majority of them and, and Tommy Toad guy is one of those guys who like his his strength everybody's known about for for many many years but I think that you got a you got a, you got a chance to look at what he can become this season but I feel like it was only a glimpse and I feel like if he had come back for one more season his name would be in that first second round range a year from now so I feel like if I was a general manager, um, I would feel like it's a value pick to get him in, in the third round, which is why I think that he might sneak up on some people and go a little bit earlier. The one thing that's not the knock against him, which I get and is reasonable, is, you know, he is a nose tackle. Um, that's, you know, he, he's not a guy also who's a nose tackle and has gotten eight sacks. You know, he had that one big three sack game, but I don't know if you can count on him for – 10 sacks a year in the NFL or something like that. So, so that, that'll be held against him. I understand that, but like he, to me, you know, I feel like there's obvious, there's, there's a clear role for Tommy Toe guy to fill on, on a team and, and whoever gets him, you know, I would feel very comfortable drafting him. And, and it's a weak defensive tackle draft. Like I'm not sure if there's going to be a true defensive tackle in the first round of the draft this year, because there's just not uh, any stars at that position in this draft. So that could push Tommy up the board too. Who's next on your list? I bet that we're going to um, be the same one right now. I got Josh Myers next, who also in the third round. Well, I have Josh Myers next in third round as well. <laughs> Not much intrigue there. Yeah, another guy to me, like, I I think he's going to be solid. A lot like Wyatt Davis. Like, I think he's going to be a solid player. I think he's going to be an NFL starter for uh, many years. Will he be a star? I don't know, but I, I, I think he's a guy who's – you know, third round seems like the right spot for him. And then I think he's going to be a really good pick for somebody. I'm, I, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat as you when, when it comes to him, like, I feel like he'll, he'll, he'll have his place. Um, I don't know. I don't know what his stealing really is in the NFL. That's my question for him um, that I'm interested to, 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 to find out. Um, 
to be honest, I thought for a little while last season, I, I was sort of a, just under the assumption that he'd all, he'd be back at Ohio State um, for, for next season as well. Um, and, and obviously I was, I was wrong about that. You know, third just feels right for him. Like he wasn't a standout this past season, sort of like Wyatt Davis. I thought he'd be a little bit better than he was. Um, but, you know, we've seen him we've seen him be really good. We've seen him dominate the line of scrimmage at that center position. He offers that versatility to play center, play guard. Um, you know, I, that, that, that team's like. Next up for me, I have Sean Wade. Sean Wade is, I mean, he's as tough as anybody, I think, to project in this draft because, you know, he's a guy, I mean, you talked about it before. I mean, he was a guy that people were talking about as a first round pick going into this year. And I think his stock has dropped significantly because he struggled in his only year playing outside cornerback, but I'm going to go third round here of him as well. I think somebody's going to take a chance on him late in that third round. You know, he might move back to slot corner. He might move to safety, but I think someone is going to look at what he did earlier in his career and, you know, also factor in, you know, his physical tools, as well as the fact that, you know, he was battling an injury last year as well. And I think somebody's going to take Sean Wade in the third round. Yeah, I have him nets as well. I have him in the fourth round. Um, that, that's sort of what I think will happen. But on my personal big board, like if I were making one myself, like I think he'd be fifth behind Fields, Warner, Wyatt Davis, and, and Tommy Togiai. Like I just think that there's a lot there to work with still. Um, I do think, you know, the the injury that, that he's talked to you about, um, that, that he says hindered him this past season, I think that's, that's real. Um, at the same time, like, this the the film this past season on for Sean Wade was like it was really bad and it, I I think that he's one of the most difficult draft evaluations to make because you've got a lot of things working there like you have to evaluate how much that injury hindered him or how much you think that that was the real Sean Wade or how much that film even matters because you're probably not going to put him an outside cornerback in the NFL also. So like you got to weigh all these different things. And I think that that's really hard when it comes to him. So, you know, I would be willing to take a little bit of a lottery ticket on him, maybe draft him a little bit ahead of where I have him projected. But I just think, especially this past year, um, that the film this past year being as bad as it was, you know, I, I do think that, that he's going to slip a little bit. I was hoping we'd have a little bit more disagreement here, but I'm going to guess that we both have Trey Sermon next on our list. I almost just want to disagree for the sake of disagreement, <laughs> but it, but we start getting a little, um, yeah, I think it's going to, I think it would have to be Trey Sermon. You'd have to, I would be, I would be, you know, if we're going to talk about it, like I think the next couple names are like a, a Hilliard, Cooper, Borland, Farrell. I would be pretty shocked if any of those guys got picked ahead of Trey Sermon. Correct. That's why I, I assumed that. Cause I think, you know, to me, I think there's a group. I mean, I think there's that group of seven guys there, that being Browning, Warner, Davis, Togiai, Myers, Wade, Sermon. Like, they're all in a group there from two to eight, which is why I want to play this game. But, like, really, like, those guys could theoretically go in any order, and it wouldn't shock me. Like, which is what I think was going to make those middle rounds so interesting. Because I think all of those guys, like, any one of those guys could go in round two and it wouldn't shock me. And any one of those guys could go in round four and it wouldn't shock me. So I think that's, what's going to make it uh, so fascinating for that group. But I do have sermon at the bottom of that group in, in round four, but I'm pretty confident he's going to at least go in round four. I have him round five, <laughs> but there you go. I, he's, he's a, t- he's a difficult guy for me. If I were an NFL team, I probably wouldn't draft him just because I, I don't know what to believe. Like the, I, I swear the the past the the last couple of games he had, he basically looked like the best running back in college football. He looked like an all time great Ohio State running back. In early in the season, I thought Master Teague was better than him. So like what, what I I think that he's a really really tough evaluation. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that because it is it is. I mean, you're going you're going off two games there where he yep. looked really good, and you don't have a body of work like that so you know that's why i think you know fourth round is probably more likely than earlier all right i bet that we are going to be on the same page the rest because it gets a little chalky here so who's who's next justin hilliard round five i have justin hilliard but i have him round seven all right yeah well yeah i I think he might go a little higher than that i mean again you know we get into this point late in rounds of the draft where you know around five round seven there's not a huge gap there but I think I think somebody's gonna uh, 
you know, take a chance on him. I, he, he's actually the guy in my mock draft that I'm going with as the Urban Meyer pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I like that. I could see that. He's, uh, you know, five would be about as early as I would even consider taking him, which is why. Yeah, yeah I have a late five. Like, it was more like I looked at the board and I went, well, Jacksonville doesn't have a six, but they've got a late five, and I like that fit. So, yeah, no, that's reasonable. I think, you know, the thing that's obviously tough about him is just the injury history is, is substantial. Um, and I think that if you were to look into those, like I think Justin Hillier would say that, you know, it's not like he has one nagging injury that's going to, you know, submarine his entire career. Like he's had individual injuries that have been very bad that set him back for years but he is on track to be an NFL player. And I, you know, Justin, Justin Hillier, the guy, Justin Hillier, the worker, you know, you have to buy into that guy. Um, the question is basically a hundred percent about durability and, and whether he can stay healthy and whether you want to, you know, spend how much draft capital you want to spend on, on somebody who has struggled staying healthy in college. But I really liked what Justin Hillier was on the field for Ohio state this past year. I just don't know exactly you know, what to expect going forward. This is basically the same Justin Hilliard story that we've talked about for the last four years. It's just in the NFL. It's like, well, maybe Jay's healthy. He'll probably be a factor. He'll probably be good. You know, he'll be a great special teamer, but you're just taking a risk because you just don't know that. So I've got Jonathan Cooper next. I've got Jonathan Cooper going in round six. I have Jonathan Cooper going in the seventh round and he is my next guy. And again, that's kind of a, Sixth round, seventh round, that's kind of a toss-up. But I, 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 do think, I do think Jonathan Cooper is going to get drafted. I think it will be late because, you know, to me in the NFL, I think his ceiling is a rotational guy. You know, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be a full-time starter in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be a 10-sack guy. But I think he is a guy that has a chance to make an NFL roster as that rotational kind of defensive end. You know, a guy who's good against the run and okay as a pass rusher. And, like, he is a great guy. He which is. factors which into late-round picks. And it, sure. makes, it maybe helps you get picked um, rather than have to figure out an undrafted path. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, just the question about him is, you know, what's his ceiling? Like, I do think his ceiling is basically a rotational pass rusher in the NFL. And I don't think that you take a guy who's ceiling is rotational pass rusher in the NFL really much higher than, than where we have him. I've got one more guy getting drafted. I've got Luke Farrell going in round seven. Do you have Luke Farrell being drafted? I love it, but no, I do not have Luke Farrell getting drafted. Most mock drafts don't have Luke Farrell getting drafted, but I think somebody's going to take him in round seven because I think he's a really good blocker. Uh, he also played a lot of special teams at Ohio State, and I think there is a role for Luke Farrell in the NFL. I think I think a guy who can block as well as he can, you know, he's going to be a third tight end on somebody's roster. He's not he's not going to be a starter. He's never going to catch a lot of passes in the NFL. But I, I think there is a role for him in the NFL. Yeah, no, to me, I, I don't know if he gets picked or not. I have him not getting picked. I would understand why he wouldn't get picked because he's basically a blocking tight end, but. If you're looking for a blocking tight end, that's the perfect cheap option that you have right in front of you that I feel like is pretty safe. Like if Luke Farrell can't block in the NFL, that would be a surprise to me. It really would. And he was he was a decent enough pass catcher that it's not like he's basically an offensive tackle. Like he's largely an off, he's not he's largely another offensive lineman, but he can leak out for some routes and and, and you can trust him in those instances. I just I just think that the the lack of explosiveness as a pass catcher is going to make him an undrafted free agent. I do not have Tough Borland, Drew Christman or Blake Hobbiel being drafted, do you? I don't either. You know, I I considered Tough Borland, but to be quite honest, you know, if I don't think that the 40 time helped him. Um, I think that we all knew that he was going to be slow. I thought that, you know, maybe he hoped that it would be a little bit faster than what it was. Um, I just think if you're looking at somebody with the athleticism that he has, I just think that's going to limit him. And then both Christman and Hobbiel, it takes a lot for a specialist to, to get drafted. And I think that they're both good. They both have a chance to make in the NFL, but I don't think they're going to get picked in the draft. Yeah, I, I agree with you on all of that. I think I think all three of those guys will sign as undrafted free agents and will have a chance to compete for roster spots. But, you know, like you said, the specialists, 
it, it's hard to get picked, and I'm not sure either of them is quite at that level where a team's going to use a draft pick on them. And then in a tough, I, I just think, you know, you look at those late rounds, a lot of times teams will use those picks on a more athletic guy who's a project than they will on a productive guy who doesn't have physical tools. And a lot of times guys who fall into that latter category are guys that teams say, if you go undrafted, we want to sign you, but they don't use a pick on them. So that's what I think is most likely going to happen with tough ball. Yeah. And, and to be honest, that sort of goes back to the Jonathan Cooper part and makes me wonder if there's a chance he gets, he goes undrafted just because I don't know what his ceiling is or, or what team's us is ceiling. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, any of the, again, you go from Hilliard on our list. Those are guys who are all in my book, guys who could be drafted, could go undrafted. But, you know, I, I think a Cooper, I think he's, you know, I, I think the difference there would be, I think Jonathan, I think Jonathan Cooper is athletic enough to, to play in the NFL. I don't know that he has the physical upside to be a star, but I think, you know, I, I'm confident that he checks the boxes that he has the physical tools to play in the NFL. I don't know if tough Borland is athletic enough to play in the NFL. Maybe he is, but I'm not sure if he is. Yeah. All I, all I am sure about is that that second day of the NFL draft is going to be pretty busy for the Buckeyes. Yes, it is. It is going to be very busy for uh, us, probably me, especially as the guy who leads our NFL draft coverage, lots of posts uh, coming to 11 warriors on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as you get into the draft. I uh, just want to kind of run through some other quick hit things here before we uh, end this week's show. Uh, Non-draft stuff. Uh, we did have our final press conference of the spring last Friday and really was not anything groundbreaking that came out of that press conference. Uh, Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, and Kerry Combs all did a good job of not really giving anything away that we didn't already learn this spring. I think you would agree with that assessment, Colin. Yeah, I, I wasn't on the, the calls because Ohio State decided to schedule Kyle Young's interview right before then. Uh, but in in talking to you guys as it was going on and, and reading back all of the, the stuff they talked about, no, I will say uh, they do a great job of not saying anything interesting. So, yeah, they don't want to give away more than they have to. But, you know, obviously the big line of questioning for Ryan Day was, you know, when is he going to name a starting quarterback? And, you know, he said that he would prefer to name a starting quarterback earlier in preseason camp, which, you know, was something I asked him about because we had talked last week about how, you know, I don't think you want to run this thing uh, all the way to the end like they did in 2015 with Cardale Jones and, and JT Barrett. But at the same time, you know, Ryan Day did say, quote, until someone really puts themselves out in front of the other two, we'll just keep going. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, like I've said before, I think there's a good chance a decision is made before the media or the public is told about the decision being made. But, you know, I, I do, I do believe him. I think that, you know, he would like to make a decision at some point, you know, middle of camp, you know, some people believe the decisions already been made. I know some people are convinced that CJ Stroud is, already won the job and that he's just not going to say that. I don't personally believe that. I, I personally believe that there is still going to be a competition in preseason camp. I think CJ Stroud is the leader in the clubhouse, but I, I do believe there is going to be a competition at least for a couple weeks in preseason camp. It might require Kyle McCord or Jack Miller really standing out if they're going to win the job, but I do think there's going to be a legitimate competition for at least the first couple of weeks of preseason camp before Ryan day and Corey Dennis really make a firm decision about who their starter is going to be. Yep. That's what it sounds like. And honestly, it's no surprise. You know, he, he, he certainly wouldn't want to give a timeline that then has all of us asking him about where they are on, on that specific timeline. So I understand why he didn't, but I, I but he will be asked anyway. <laughs> he will be asked anyway. So don't you, don't you all worry. There was also I, the one other thing that I thought was interesting was he was asked about uh, the college football playoff and he was asked, you know, specifically about 
of a loss to Alabama and if he viewed that as a, you know, catalyst that they needed to make changes. And he did not. He see, he said, you know, not only did he, you know, really say that, you know, you know, he says it's not an excuse. I think it's kind of an excuse. You can you can argue <laughs> if you want either way. But, you know, he, he, he you know, he, he made the point as he's made before that, you know, they had one day of practice leading up to that game and that, you know, they, they really weren't, you know, adequately prepared to play in a national championship game. So he doesn't look at that loss and say, well, you know, we, we needed to make a bunch of changes because we got blown out in that game. But, you know, I thought, you know, the part that was kind of interesting was he admitted that really he did not expect Ohio state to play the way that it did against Clemson. He, he said, that, you know, quote, we, we weren't really prepared to play in the postseason the way we would like to normally. And he said it was amazing how, you know, Ohio State performed that well. So now, granted, they caught us by surprise, too, because I know people have pointed out to us that we were both wrong uh, that Ohio State would beat Clemson. But I just thought that was interesting to to hear him actually admit that, that like they, he didn't think they were going to beat Clemson the way they did. I don't believe him. You don't believe him? I don't. I, to be quite honest, I, I don't. I don't believe him because they poured everything that they had that off season into beating Clemson, and I think that they poured so much into beating Clemson that you could see that. And I'm not talking about from a motivational aspect that they weren't as motivated to beat Alabama as they were to beat Clemson or anything of that. I'm strictly talking about game preparation and preparing to face Trevor Lawrence and preparing to face Brent Venables and knowing exactly what was going to come. They were extraordinarily prepared for that game in a way that they were not for Alabama. Um, and I think it really showed in those games. So that's why when he says that, I just don't believe him. Like, I just think that they were way more prepared for Clemson than they were for Alabama. And the reason that they didn't make the changes, the, the drastic changes after losing to Alabama is because he knew that they weren't as prepared for Alabama as they should have been as prepared as they were for, uh, for Clemson. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the thing that's, you know, it's, it's like the thing that I thought of when I was hearing that is I remembered asking him before of a college football playoff if he was worried that they weren't going to be prepared enough for those games because they didn't play enough in the regular season. And at the time, no, no, I don't think it's going to be any problem at all. And now he says it is. So it's, it's just funny how uh, the, the narrative can change from during the season to then when you're later looking back on the season. Yeah. And this is just a, this isn't a criticism of Brian day. So I don't want people to take it as that, but the, you know how, you know how like urban Meyer has his urban Meyerisms that you just hear come up again and again, Ryan day, one of Brian days is saying, you know, this is an excuse, but, and then he just gives you an excuse. And this is one of those instances, which like, listen, fair. Like I, it is, I understand you're trying to say it's a reason, not an excuse, even though it's a legitimate excuse. I mean, honestly, yes, it is. It it is is a legitimate excuse. (laughs) It's both an excuse and legitimate. Yeah. I mean, you had one practice before playing the team that could have six players drafted in the first round on Thursday night. Like, you know, that was one of the things that struck me and I'm looking through this draft. It's like, yeah, no wonder Alabama like kicked everybody's ass because their roster was just absolutely loaded with studs and nobody else even compares in terms of guys that they're going to have drafted in the early rounds. So, you know, Ohio state needed everything to go perfectly if it was going to beat Alabama and things did not go close to perfectly. Anything else from the, those Friday press conferences that you thought would be worth bringing up? Not really. I mean, one thing I think, you know, I just felt like it was more uh, confirmation that the bullet is going to be real. Just hearing Kerry Combs talk about it. You know, he, he did sound pretty definitive that the bullet was going to be at least a piece of what they do defensively. And, you know, I think, you know, we're still going to be talking about that more over the next few months, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what that is, because I think the question I still have is, is the bullet going to be a player that's playing every down that we see on the field every down, or is it going to be a player that we see on some downs or maybe one week the bullets on the field every down. And then another week it's on the field for 20 plays based on who they're playing. It's going to be uh, very interesting, both to me uh, how they utilize it and also who gets the most playing time there, because I think it's a very uh, close race right now for that starting job between 
Ronnie Hickman and Craig Young right now uh, in my depth chart projection I published on Sunday. I, I went with Ronnie Hickman, but I think that's very close. And then Court Williams is another guy who could factor in there as well. Yeah, that to me, I, I think I'm at the point where I believe that that it's going to be uh, almost every down part of the defense. So, you know, we've talked about the bullet enough. We probably don't need to have another 20-minute conversation about the bullet. But listen, the bullet's here to stay. Well, if we go to another note, one guy who I was very intrigued by as a guy who I thought maybe could be a future bullet for Ohio State's defense was Desan McCullough. And there was some bad news for Ohio State on the recruiting trail on Sunday when he announced that he was decommitting from Ohio State and committing to Indiana. And, you know, for those who aren't familiar, the reason why he's flipping to Indiana, which obviously is not something you see very often, a guy flipping from Ohio State to Indiana, is because his father became the associate head coach at Indiana in February. And then when things really started going in this direction was his younger brother, who's a 2023 commitment, announced his commitment to Indiana a couple weeks ago. And then on Saturday, his older brother, who was playing at Miami of Ohio, announced his commitment to Indiana as a transfer. And pretty quickly after that, it became clear that Desan was going to be joining them at Indiana. And, you know, obviously I think my perspective and I think even most fans perspective is you can't blame the guy given the circumstances and wanting to go play uh, with his family. Uh, you know, I think, you know, that's obviously a really cool opportunity for him to get to do that. And so, you know, I think anyone who's rational understands uh, why he's making that decision, but I do think it's a significant loss for Ohio state on the recruiting trail. Certainly not anything to panic over because Ohio State still got two top 50 linebackers committed in C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers. But when I think about the future of a defense where the bullet could potentially become a permanent part of it, he was a guy who was very intriguing to me with, with his size and his athleticism, a guy who's played some safety in high school. He was a guy that I looked at as, you know, that Isaiah Simmons type, so to speak, uh, that could maybe be in the future of Ohio State's defense. And when you look at who they're still targeting on the recruiting trail, there's not really another guy out there right now that would be an obvious fit to replace him in that role in the recruiting class. Yeah, I think the one good thing about this is that it happened in April, not in November, because it gives them an entire summer to evaluate the entire summer to figure out exactly what they want at that linebacker position. Cause like you said, you know, they might just get one more linebacker. They might get two more linebackers. They can go a lot of different ways here, but this is as important as a linebacker recruiting class as there's been in, in years and definitely since that Washington has been here. So, you know, I think losing to San is, you know, I don't think that you can, you can just brush past that and say that that's not a big loss because I think San McCullough would have really factored into what Ohio state did in the future of its defense. But I think that if you're Ohio State, you feel confident about where you are as a program, that it's not like this loss is going to really, really set you back. You have to believe that, that there will be someone else out there who can fill that need. And at least you, you, you can go into this and say, okay, we know why we lost him. Like, this isn't like, you know, typically if a guy was flipping to Indiana and it was a guy you really wanted, you'd be going, what the hell's going on here? But in this case, there's a very obvious reason why he's doing it. It's not that anything turned him off to Ohio state. It's just that he has this opportunity to do something with his family that he ultimately decided he couldn't pass up. Yeah. Like it's completely understandable. I don't, you know, I, I do wonder like if his older brother just stayed at Miami, Ohio, you know, I tend to think that he probably would have stayed as and, and been a Buckeye, but I, I think, think so the opportunity too. to just reunite the entire family at one place, that, <laughs> that's, that's a heck of an offer. That's certainly what it seems like is when his second brother committed there. It's like, okay, now we all have this opportunity to do this together. He didn't want to be the only one who was left out of that. He, he wanted to be able to do it with his entire family. And uh, I totally respect that uh, for him. Uh, one other, uh, speaking of guys who went West to Indiana, uh, another news item from this past week, uh, Terry Johnson, who, had been with Chris Holtman since Holtman was at Butler as one of his assistant coaches has left Ohio state to become an assistant coach at Purdue. And 
I, I believe he did an interview on Tuesday, or it was at least published on Tuesday, where he talked a little bit about why he made that decision. Uh, from everything you've heard, Colin, uh, why did he do this? Yeah, I mean, largely it's, you know, Terry Johnson has wanted to be a head coach for, for a while. Um, he interviewed for the Butler job back when, when Chris Holtman left and, and didn't get it. So he followed Chris Holtman to Ohio State. Um, and, and at Ohio State, you know, he's basically run Ohio, he's run the defense with Chris Holtman. Um, and the opportunity to go to Purdue, you know, it gives him a, a chance to run the offense. And, and he thinks that this is going to make him a, a better head coaching candidate. And he's back in, in the state where he grew up in, um, in, in Indiana. And to be quite honest, so that's a hard package to pass up because, you know, if, if you think that if you think that you've missed out on jobs because you weren't well-rounded enough of a candidate and you can go work for Matt Painter's staff at Purdue that just lost two assistant coaches to go be head coaches somewhere else, including one within the Big Ten, like that's I, it, I think it's a it's a it's a weird move because you don't see it all the time. And I was caught off guard when it happened initially. But I do think if, if you just hear that out. I do think it's understandable as well from, from his perspective. And I know he has a lot of personal history in Indiana too. Yep. So it was probably, you know, other compared to other places, he could have got that same opportunity to go back to Indiana and coach at Purdue was probably appealing to him personally. Yeah. And, you know, at Ohio state, he, he was the coach of the big man. He was the co- He was, you know, the defensive coordinator essentially unofficially, but, you know, I will say this also, like, you know, I, I think Terry Johnson was really good in his job. You know, I don't think any assistant coaches, you know, I don't think you look at them and say, you know, I don't know how you replace his assistant coach. It's assistant coaches in college basketball. You should be able to replace them. I think that they should at Ohio state be able to replace Terry Johnson. Um, and I don't know if that will shuffle up the staff a little bit. I do wonder if maybe Terry Johnson would have stayed if Ryan Peden had, you know, gotten the head coaching job at, at Cincinnati and maybe he could have had a little bit more handle on, on the offense, but as long as Ryan Peden's back, I assume that assume that he's going to run the offense again. Jake Diebler will will have a will have a handle on uh, what the what the guard play is, and you know then then I wonder, you know, do you look to shuffle up the staff a little bit in terms of responsibilities? Are you going to look for somebody who is, you know, competent and uh, who is a competent defensive mind who, who who can coach bigs and you know they. I don't know what direction they're going to go. I think it's an interesting it's an interesting opportunity though because. You know, I, I look at this, uh, this Ohio State program and, you know, they've only had to replace one other assistant coach in, in the time that, that Chris Holtman has um, been here. So it's not like it's not like this is a this is an annual thing or something we've seen frequently. So you know, I think this will be interesting to see exactly what direction Chris Holtman chooses to go in. I think the first two names that jumped to my mind were Scooney Penn, who was on the staff and is now uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies and. Uh, Terrence Dials, who's now on the staff uh, as uh, director director of player development, I believe is his title. Uh, do you think that it will be somebody who has some Ohio State ties, or do you think Holtman might look uh, broader in this search? I'm not totally sure. I, I don't think it'll be Dials just because he hasn't been a he hasn't been a full time assistant yet, and it's not like he's been you know, in this kind of role for a decade or anything like that. Um, it's fairly new to him. So, you know, Scooney Penn, I think that, that makes some sense. Um, I'd be interested if, if that were to happen, like, I, guess, I assume Scooney Penn would coach guards because he is Scooney Penn after all. But but that's, you know, that's what Jake Diebler's done for a while. So, you know, I, I, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, you could, heck, you could throw out Greg Oden. I mean, if you want, if you want, if you're worried about recruiting, like, there are worse things to do than grab Greg Oden and say, go, go out and get a five-star big man. I feel like that's something that Greg Oden could accomplish, but, but I am, you know, I, it's, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where they go with this. Um, I think there are, I think there are positives to, to staying within the program. I think that there are also, you know, positives to, to going outside of it, knowing that you have some strong internal candidates that, that you've developed and continue to develop. I do not think it will happen, but I think we can both agree the most fun possibility here would be Evan Turner leaving his role as the Boston Celtics assistant coach uh, to come back to Ohio state and fill that role. That would be, a, that would be a thrill. I can't imagine Evan Turner on the college bench, but as, especially as an assistant coach, uh, but that would be a thrill. I, 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 you know, the guy who I would actually really be interested in seeing it happen, but it won't happen because his professional career is going on. Like, I just think Jared Sullinger is going to be a great coach someday. 
Um, I don't know when that's going to be. I think he's 29 years old or something right now. So it's not like he has to rush that at all. Um, but, you know, we've seen him uh, coaching the TBT, which, yes, it's the TBT. We're not talking about the NBA or anything. But he, to me, has it's a lot a TBT of TBT national champion right there. <laughs> it is. It is. He, to me, has a lot of things that, that, that you want um, in a coach. He's obviously played in the NBA. Um, I, I just think that at some point, at some point, I just think Jared Sollinger is going to, going to get into coaching. And I just think at some point, maybe he finds his way back to Ohio State. Well, thanks again for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, hope you enjoyed uh, the NFL draft talk and hope you enjoy the NFL draft, which begins uh, Thursday night at 8 p.m. We will have lots of coverage of it all on 11warriors.com, as always. And we'll be back next week to talk about how it all went. So, Thanks again for listening in and enjoy the rest of your week.